Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Today's episode is on schools and specifically alternatives and movements within the system. So the system would generally be in reference to the public education system or state-run schools in general. And so this episode will cover some of the different movements that are going on within the school system, things like outdoor classes and specialized classes, the options like online schooling or vocational, dual enrollment, magnet schools, charter schools, all this kind of stuff. These are all options that everyone has access to, and anyone can access these within the system. You don't have to do homeschooling. You don't have to go to a private school. You don't have to do anything else in order to have your kids be involved in this type of stuff. And so I'll talk about that. But again, these education episodes aren't just about kids. It's also about you and I. Basically, if we can really understand education and how people learn and how those methods affect us, then we are much better able to identify some weaknesses within ourselves and some gaps that we have from our education and our upbringing. So that's what I want to be able to do with these upcoming episodes is, number one, educate everyone in these areas of schooling options. For those of you that have kids or plan on having kids in the future, this is fairly important. And Also, for the rest of you who may not have kids or they've already been through school or you don't plan on having any kids, hopefully we can use these episodes to discuss the learning environment and how kids learn and what methods they learn, what the pros and cons are to those, so that you can identify some things that would be beneficial to you. You can understand some things about yourself. You can realize some of the gaps that you have that you may not have known even existed and that type of thing. So it should be beneficial for you and your continuing education because hopefully we're all continuing to educate ourselves throughout our lives. If you're listening to this podcast and others like this, then I think that proves that you are interested in gaining knowledge and educating yourself, learning about new things. And so this should be a good resource for you to help you identify what things to learn and how to learn them, what the options are, that kind of stuff. So again, it's not just for people with kids that are looking at how to handle school. So let's get started with what these different options are, what these movements are, what these alternatives are, and how kids are learning in a way that is different than the typical stereotype for a public school education. And so the first one I want to mention is one that usually is geared towards the youngest crowd, usually in elementary school. Often it's kindergarten and pre-K, but it does extend further than that. And that would be outdoor classes. So again, this usually is the littlest kids in most public schools. Often they have an outdoor kindergarten or something like that. But there are some. There's a high school in my area that focuses on nature and outdoor learning and stuff. So it does progress all the way up. It's just not quite as common in the upper levels. And so 
the outdoor classes basically try to provide a different environment for the kids so that they're not just sitting in a desk all day inside a building with four walls and maybe a window and just basically being talked at and teached at and doing some projects. But instead, they're outside where they can interact with nature. They can walk around. They're exposed to all the different things around them and help learn from those things. And so this helps with engagement. It helps with getting them interested in some of the things around them. It helps with giving examples so the teacher can be talking about the seasons and the weather, and you can actually see that for yourself. You can experience it for yourself. If you're outside, you see the colors change in the fall. You see the flowers bloom in the spring. The teacher can point around to different things. If you're talking about soil, you can get a handful of soil and the kids can touch it and they can explore These are things that can really get kids a lot more involved and a lot more engaged, and it really helps with things like observation and being able to connect with how the world works. You're not just isolated in a building and not really making those connections, but rather you can see how nature works. You are in a much more pleasant environment. You're outside. You feel the sun shining down on you. You hear the wind blowing through the trees. It's much more pleasant. You're probably going to be a little more open to listening to what the teacher has to say. There are a few things you can look around at, so you're not just sitting at a desk and staring at a wall. And so it hopefully gets kids more engaged. It keeps them more interested. And even when you're teaching something that's totally unrelated to nature, just the environment itself can help kids when they're trying to learn, they're trying to listen. It's kind of like how some kids like to doodle on a piece of paper and they'll make little drawings and little designs and that kind of stuff. And there are kids that do that, but they are still intently paying attention to what the teacher is saying. It's not that they're completely distracted and only focused on their drawing. It's just that that's the way their mind works. If they're kind of doing something random in the meantime, that's kind of brainless and they're just... Uh, actively doing something, then they can pay better attention. Whereas if they're only staring at a teacher and listening to them, sometimes they might get distracted, start daydreaming, they'll get very bored. And so it kind of keeps them engaged, even though it's in a way a little bit of a distraction, but it allows them to learn better and pay attention better. And this can also happen outside. You don't have to doodle. You can look around, you see the birds flying, you see the grass blowing in the wind. These different things can help kids just have something to pay attention to and something to look at and something to enjoy. Their environment's moving. And so maybe that can help them from getting basically just completely bored at just staring at a teacher inside a classroom. The next option I want to talk about actually is within a classroom, and these would be specialized classes. So what I'm thinking here are things like STEM labs, for example. STEM labs is a reference to science, technology, engineering, and math. And then you also have different acronyms. You have STEAM, and you have others that involve a few variations on that. But basically, the idea is that you have a classroom set up that is more interactive, and kids are learning how to do things physically with their hands, usually, and basically interact more with the material. So you do things like robotics and 3D printing and CAD software, that type of thing. We actually have some in my local school system, and they have 
CNC cutting machines. They have laser machines that'll do engraving. They can make vinyl graphics. They have 3D printers, and they can design objects on the 3D printer, then print them out. They usually have some basic like woodworking tools, such as maybe some saws or jigsaw, things like that, where they can create things and modify things, cut things up, whatever. These types of things. Often there's robotics, and you can program the robotics. So in today's world, often there is a technology link with physical activity, and that's what environment is created within a classroom for the kids to really be able to learn. So they're not just reading a book about robotics. They are using the robotics themselves. They are writing software programs in order to run the robotics themselves. It's very interactive, and it really gets them interested. Again, if you have an environment that you can interact with, if you are actually building something and doing something yourself, then you're going to be much more involved and you're going to learn a lot more. If you're interested in something, you learn more about it. I definitely know that I have noticed this in my personal life since I got out of school and I started studying all the things that I got really interested in, like investing and economics and politics and just all these kinds of things, philosophy, the types of things that I talk about on this podcast often. I learned so much more and I would soak up knowledge so much better and so much more thoroughly. I would interact with it a lot more because I was interested in it. I wanted to learn. Whereas in a typical classroom study, you don't really get that. Usually the kids are just there because they have to be and they're not really paying attention. They're not interacting with it. And it really hampers the amount of education that they actually get. So there are many different ways that schools do these specialized classes and labs that they set up. Sometimes it is a corporate sponsorship. So in my local school system, there is one that got set up recently that is a partnership with an insurance company, and they created basically a coding class where they sponsored it and they paid for most of the equipment, and they set up computers and software programs where the kids can learn about coding and coding programs. And then in exchange, the insurance company has agreed to hire some of these kids and do basically like internships. And so it's a good partnership there where the kids are learning specific tasks that are very useful and they're getting some good connections with a local corporation that they can get a job through. And it really works out well. And the kids are really learning. They are interacting with it. They're doing it themselves. They aren't just reading out of a book. Another example that I know of locally is an automotive company that sponsored many different labs within our county schools. And they set these up in a way that I described earlier, where there's robotics, there are saws, there are engraving machines, there's all kinds of stuff like this. And the idea behind it is that the kids are going to learn how to physically work with stuff, how to work with stuff like robotics, be familiar with CAD software, these kinds of things. And so hopefully, at least the way the automotive company is describing it, hopefully there are going to be students that are graduating from high school that will be able to fill some of these specialized jobs that this automotive company has. They need people to do this kind of stuff, to work on their assembly lines, and to work on their robotic systems and this type of thing. And it's a lot easier to have a workforce that you can fill 
if you have kids that are actually learning this type of stuff and interacting with this type of stuff at a high school level and even a middle school level. So many of these labs are in middle schools and many are in high schools as well. And so that's the idea is to have kids coming out of high school that actually have experience and are familiar with these types of things. And so again, it's a win-win situation ideally. There are also grants that you can get through the federal government. There is a local culinary class that a school got a grant for, and they set up a culinary class, and so this teaches cooking and that type of thing. But what the school has done is they're incorporating that within other classes. So if there's a class that's learning about basically Italian culture or something like that, then they might use the culinary kitchen area for one class period and cook some sort of Italian cuisine. And it helps the kids to make some more connections, to get involved, and to gain interest in this type of thing. So again, there's many different ways that schools do this. Some just do it on their own initiative. Some use the extra funds that they have to fund these types of programs. Some use donations, some use grants, some do the corporate sponsorships. There's all kinds of options here. And I want to say that there are definitely pros with this, and I've named most of them. And this is a very good thing in general. But there is a big weakness here, and that is that even though you have the potential for a lot of good stuff and some good interactive education, it's not necessarily going to be realized without an added step, and that would be the teaching that's involved. So you could easily have a teacher that is a more stereotypical teacher that might be probably older and has done things a certain way their whole lives, and then they basically get put in charge of one of these labs, one of these STEM classrooms or something, and what they end up doing is creating a curriculum where they tell all the kids, hey, this is the logo for the school. We are going to design this logo and print it out on a piece of vinyl. Everybody's going to do this. So everybody sit down. These are the steps that you do. First, you do this. Then you do this. Then you do this. And basically, everybody does the exact same thing. And all they're doing is following directions. Now, this will still allow them to learn. They're still going to learn some stuff. They're still going to be interacting with it. So it's probably still better than sitting in a classroom and reading out of a book. However, it is nowhere near the potential that's there where a teacher could have a more open-ended project where they say, hey, you can operate on your own or you can pair up in groups, maybe a maximum of three people per group or whatever they feel is reasonable. And what I want you to do is create some sort of marketing material for our school. And some of them may design some sort of vinyl logo. Some of them may design something that they 3D print out and they hand out maybe a pencil holder that has the logo and the school name on it or whatever. It's open-ended so that they can actually be creative. They can design things themselves. They can talk about it. They can do some group work. There's a lot involved there that they would have the potential to do. But really, it's only if the teacher is facilitating all of this potential that's there. So there is a kind of a weak point there. 
that hopefully most schools are making sure that this weakness doesn't come through. Hopefully they're appointing teachers and they're training teachers to make full use of this type of stuff. But I do know, for example, in my local county, there are some that are not doing this. They sent the teachers to a one-week training class on how to use the 3D printers and the different equipment, and most of them come back, still have no clue what they're doing. They have zero curriculum whatsoever, and they basically had no plan. I talked to a few right before school started during the summer, and that was their situation. And so I don't know how that has turned out. I've heard that some basically don't hardly ever use their STEM labs at all. And it's open for people and teachers to come in and bring their classes in there and use it, but it's not often used. And then I've heard of others that are using them in creative ways and are doing open-ended projects and group work and this kind of stuff. So it, it seems, and this would definitely be my guess to begin with anyway, that some schools would handle it well, some wouldn't, some teachers would be good at this, some wouldn't. And yeah, we'll see how that goes. But the point is that these are specialized classes that have a lot of potential. And if you have access to those and kids have access to those, it can really improve the education that they're receiving, even within a standard public school education model. Another option that is still fairly standard in what the kids are learning in the curriculum, but is very not standard in relation to where they are, would be online schooling. So most school systems now, or at least I should say many school systems now, offer an option for online schooling where basically the kids are kind of homeschooled. They, they stay at home, but they are still enrolled in the public school system. They're doing the exact same coursework. They're following the exact same curriculum. They usually have some sort of video chat enabled and help and question and answer. They usually come in for some specific things like testing and that kind of stuff. And so they're basically doing the exact same thing that the kids are doing in their classrooms, but they're doing most of it at home. And so this would be online schooling. And this is an option that may work well for some. They typically will learn through reading and videos and chatting, that kind of stuff. And so they're still getting some interaction there and Again, they're still doing basically the same stuff. So for me personally, I don't really find a big pro with this system. To me, if you're going to do that, then just do the homeschooling route and actually improve the curriculum and education that your child is getting. But it's an option that could work well for some. And for some people, this is something that it gets them maybe out of a bad environment and allows them to be at home, but maybe the parent doesn't want to have really anything to do with their child's education and actually like choosing it. I'm not saying that in a negative way, but maybe a parent doesn't want to have to decide what curriculum to follow and be in charge of it. Instead, they can just let the kid do it. You have these assignments, you do them, you're interacting with the teacher, that kind of stuff. And even though it's online, it's still basically the same thing. Your kid is going to school and getting the same education as everybody else. So it's an option, but Again, my personal preference is that they don't just get the same education as everybody else. They get a better education because the standard education eh, can be lacking in many areas. So that's an option. To do another option that is definitely different with a different setting would be vocational school. 
So there are typically vocational schools and vocational programs within schools at just about every public school system that's out there. And this is an option to mainly to learn a trade. So think construction jobs or car mechanics or things like this, where there is a specific trade that doesn't necessarily need a college degree or a business degree, but rather needs some more specialized training. And so typically these are geared towards high schools and older kids. And what it is, is they basically have the core classes that every other school has and that the state mandates. So you have your basically reading, writing, arithmetic, and all your basic things. But all of the other classes, the specialized classes, and the rest of their schedule for their schooling is focused on vocational learning. And so... For example, maybe diesel mechanics is something that a kid is interested in. They think they want to get into that field, and maybe there is a vocational school that offers that as a class, and they can actually learn about diesel mechanics while they're in high school. So when they graduate, they can probably get a pretty decent job. They can get some on-the-job training then and maybe do an apprenticeship or whatever, and they will be set up with a career very quickly after graduating high school. So this could be very good. Maybe someone wants to be an electrician, and so they will take classes on that throughout high school. Then when they graduate, they might even be able to pass an electrician's test and get certified and get a very good job after that. There's lots of options here. So if that's something that someone is interested in, if they're interested in things like practical, hands-on learning, then that might be something that really works well for them. Even if they want to go to college, it can definitely still be beneficial to learn some of these practical skills and some of these practical trades. No matter what you're going to do with your life, you're probably going to live somewhere where something's going to break. So having some sort of trade skills in construction, maybe carpentry or painting or masonry or whatever, those skills would probably come in handy throughout your life at different times. Car mechanics, you know, most of us are going to be using cars. And that may look very different by the time kids grow up, but there are still going to be engines of some kind that, you know, maybe you have a lawnmower or maybe you have a pressure washer or whatever the case may be. If you're familiar with these types of things and at least the basics on how they work, that can be very beneficial and very practical, even if you're just in a typical corporate business job. So it's not just people that want to get out into the trades, but that is the most common approach. And that's usually the people who do this and do well in this type of setting. But the overall idea is that you are interacting with stuff, you're physically being involved with learning. Usually, for example, if it's an electrician's class, then you'll have a whole class period set aside for learning electrical work. And you'll actually probably wire outlets, you'll hook up lights, you're going to physically be doing things as well as doing the book learning and learning the mechanics behind that and the science behind it and that kind of stuff. And so it's a good option for people that are oriented towards that type of learning or want to get into that type of profession. If there's an option for vocational schooling around you that fits that, then that can be very beneficial. The next option that I will bring up is also in relation to 
later in a schooling career, usually high school, and that would be dual enrollment. So the deal here is that you spend part of your time at high school and part of your time at college, or you spend all of your time at a local college, usually community college, but you're taking a few high school classes while you're there. So the idea is that, for example, if you're a junior in high school, you're probably perfectly capable of taking some basic college classes at that time. And if you're going to take a basic college English class, then why not have that count as your high school English class as well? You're going to learn the same stuff, probably a little more advanced. And so you can get double credit basically for that. And that can really help you out. So a lot of people that start this as a sophomore or a junior can often graduate with an associate's degree, a two-year degree, because they've done the basic level of college work as well as finished their high school work at the same time. They are also exposed to a college learning environment, which is very different than a high school learning environment. And so that can be very beneficial as well. They have more responsibility. They have more control over their schedules usually. And it's just a different learning experience that can be very beneficial. I actually did this for my own schooling. When I was a junior, I ended up going to a local community college and took mostly college classes, but also a few high school classes that I was lacking and didn't parallel with the college ones. And so I was able to graduate with my high school degree. And at the same time, I had already taken the majority of the classes that I needed for my associate's degree. So I only had to go a little bit longer at the community college and get my associate's degree instead of spending two years doing all this basic coursework and then finally getting it, then finally working on my bachelor's. Uh, that was very beneficial to get a lot of that out of the way during my final years of high school. I also really enjoyed that because I could set up my classes where I was only going to school two days a week, some semesters, three days a week, others. Sometimes I added some night courses, and I was able to work a lot more. So I could work not necessarily full-time, or at least that's not what I did, but I generally worked about 30 hours a week or so, or 20-something hours a week, and I was able to make money and work in the field that I wanted to get into, gain experience in that, and all this kind of stuff while I was still in high school even, and I wasn't having to do like a fast food job in the evenings and work weekends. I was able to do this during the week and schedule my course load in a way that this would work out really well. So that's a good option to take advantage of. And like many other options here, it can be paired with some of these other options as well and doesn't necessarily have to be done on its own. So that's another benefit that you can pick and choose some of these different things depending on the school system that you have access to. And hopefully you can gain an education that incorporates a lot of these different aspects and methods. So that can be very good. The next few examples that I'm going to go over are more just different types of schools as a whole. So instead of being a different form of learning or a different classroom or setting in a typical public school, these are other school options that you have. And that would be magnet schools and charter schools and uh, technically private schools, but I'm not really going to get into those very much. So to start off with, let's talk about magnet schools. Now, a magnet school is part of the public school system. It will be part of the local county school system itself. It's not just part of the public school system as a whole, federally or statewide. It's actually part of the local county school system. And so with that, it follows basically all the same things that the other public schools are following. It has the same requirements. It teaches a lot of the same stuff. 
and it will be staffed by state employees, the same types of teachers and principals and that kind of stuff as well. Now, the difference here is that the magnet school is more specialized and usually has a focus and they have slightly more liberties with what they teach and how they teach. So you may have a magnet school that is focused on the arts, for example. We locally have one that is for arts and sciences, and they have a lot of classes that are oriented towards that. You do things like theater and a lot of music stuff and art classes of different types and a lot more expanded options for these types of things. The local one I'm thinking of is elementary through high school. And so you have a broad range here. It's not just for high school students that are very specialized. It can go all the way down to elementary school and the beginnings of a child's education. And they can have options for getting involved in this stuff. Some of them focus more on mathematics and that type of thing. And others may focus on things like the arts, like I mentioned earlier. So the idea here is that they are able to offer different types of classes. They're able to set things up a little differently. They have a little more control and also a different range of students. So often the way this works is that a magnet school will take any students within technically their zone around them physically, but then they also can accept students that are in any other place, typically as long as their parents are willing to come drop them off and pick them up. Oftentimes they won't run buses halfway across the county just so a kid can go to this specific magnet school, although some do. But usually you have to provide the ride, and if you're willing to do that, then you have access for your kid to go there. Usually, magnet schools perform better than the other public schools within a system, and often due to this, there is a much higher demand. So the way this is usually handled is that any excess demand that's out there goes on a lottery system, and so the school is supposed to randomly select students and get a wide variety of students that way. So it's set up a little differently than a typical public school. You're not just zoned to go here and that's it. You have some more options here and the school itself has more options in its curriculum and in its focus and that kind of stuff. The school is still state funded. And like I said, still part of the local school system, but it's just a little more specialized, a little more broad ranged and has a little more liberties in how they operate. The next option here would be charter schools. So this takes the same principle and basically takes it to the next level. A charter school is technically a public school, but it is not part of the state or county school system. It's, in a sense, its own one school school system, and they have much more control over their schools and over how they operate them and their curriculum and all this kind of stuff. So that is something that is a big benefit for charter schools, depending on how you want to look at it, at least. Typically, charter schools are going to be mostly government funded, but they also have the option for outside funding. So usually the way they're funded is on a per child basis. So depending on how many kids go there, the state will give them X amount of dollars per kid. And so the state is funding the school that way, and it is a public school in that it's state funded. But they do have the option to get outside funding to help with that as well. 
Typically, charter schools operate more like a business because if they're not able to operate with a profit, they're not going to get a larger chunk of the budget. They're just going to basically fail and go out of business. So they do have to make sure that they're bringing in students, that they are creating something that there is a demand for. They are giving a good education. Parents want to take their kids there. Because again, if they don't have a lot of students that are enrolling, then they're not going to get a lot of funding from the state because it's on a per student basis. And so they really want to draw in students. And in order to do that, if you're a school, then you're probably going to want to offer a high quality education. That's generally what brings kids in and gets parents interested. So that's usually how that works and how they operate from that perspective. Overall, they do need to meet some broad academic requirements, but they're largely free to choose their own ways. So there are going to be some state standards that they do have to meet and some certain subjects that they do have to cover, but they're not forced to use a specific curriculum or teach in a specific way. Instead, they can teach how they want to teach. They can teach the content that they want to teach as long as they are meeting some of these basic requirements that the state mandates. So many of these charter schools use state benefit plans with their employees, although some don't. So most of the teachers that teach at a charter school are going to be state employees and be on the employee benefit plan that the state is attached to, but it's not a requirement. Charter schools have the option. The last stat that I saw was that 80% do have the same benefit package and go through the state for their benefits, and the employees are a lot like the other teachers at the other public schools. But that would mean that there are still 20% that don't do it this way and that they deal with their employees in a different manner with a different benefit package. So again, they have more leeway there. Most charter schools do have a focus. So some may focus on STEM, some may focus on the arts, some may focus on nature. There are lots of different options here, obviously just about anything you could think of. And this is generally the way charter schools are set up. Usually they're not just a normal public school that just gives a general education, usually they do have a focus and that's part of their marketing and they draw in people that way, people that are interested in a certain type of education. There is a local one that I'm aware of that focuses on nature and they do a lot of outdoor classes. I believe they start at middle school, but I'm not positive on that. It might just be high school. And my wife actually recently went on a hike with our kids and one of her friends and their kids, and they were at a local creek, and they saw a whole class full of kids from this charter school that had waders on and were in the middle of the creek. They were testing the water. They were doing different things. And so that's something that you would typically not see out of a typical public school class. But these kids were doing that. These schools actually located right next to a creek. And so they do a lot of stuff there when they're learning about science and the environment and that kind of stuff. They even have a class on processing chickens. And so they have definitely a different variety of educational resources that they use with their kids. And again, this is one that is mostly nature-based and they're interacting a lot with the outside environment and with more practical knowledge and it's a little more open learning 
And so this is something that appeals to a lot of people. I know a lot of homeschool kids in my area, their parents will homeschool them for elementary school. And then when they're ready for their kids to get a little older and get a more specific education, a lot of them will take them to this charter school because it parallels a lot with the style that they were doing with their homeschooling and they feel more comfortable with that. And so it's definitely something that has a lot of benefits, but it also definitely has its drawbacks as well. The school needs to make sure they're getting the kids in. They do have to operate more like a business, and they still do have to meet certain requirements. There will be state-mandated standardized testing. There will be certain material that they're required to cover. And there's other things like this where they still are a public school. They still have to meet these certain requirements, and they still operate in in a similar manner, but they have much more freedom and a lot more broad range of classes and opportunities and methods. So it's pretty cool. I had mentioned that the employees are a lot like public teachers, but they the charter school has the option of giving different benefits. Another thing they have the option of is certification requirements. So for a typical public school teacher, they have to be a certified teacher, whereas for a charter school, they might have a requirement that a teacher has a bachelor's degree, but if they have experience in a certain field, maybe they're a chemist that has done that their whole life, maybe they're not going to require them to get a teaching degree and go through student teaching and stuff, but instead allow them to teach a chemistry class within their school. And, you know, that kind of makes sense, but that is not an option that many of the other public schools have. So again, there are some requirements, but they have a lot more freedom in how they handle that. The final option I want to talk about is private schools. And again, I'm not really going to get into this. It's basically limitless options as long as you're willing to pay for it. And that's kind of the way it works. So there are private schools that are a lot like local charter schools that are all like some of the magnet schools. There are plenty of private schools that basically have the same model as the rest of the public schools. They just have, you know, typically smarter kids and better teachers and that kind of stuff because they can afford it. There are also private schools that teach according to some of the methods I will talk about in relation to homeschooling. So there are Montessori schools, and there are Waldorf schools, and there are private schools that use some of these same methods and educational techniques but are doing it in a more formal school setting. So since the options are pretty much limitless, I'm not really going to get into that, but that's another option. But the point of this episode is what are your options within the public school system? You don't really have to pay extra for it. You don't really have to do a lot of extra work yourself. Basically, everyone has an option for taking advantage of pretty much all of these options that I've talked about here. Now, the final thing I want to mention is vouchers. So that's something that some states in the U.S. do and some don't. I'm not sure how most countries deal with that outside of the United States. But vouchers basically are a way for the government to give parents the amount of money that the government is going to spend on educating your child, but the parent then has the option to use that as they see fit. Now, different states have different requirements on what you're allowed to use that on and what you're not, but let's go with the most open-ended option, and that would be that basically a parent gets a check for $5,000 or a voucher for $5,000 that they can use for their kid's education. Now, they can give that to the local public school, 
which will basically require the parent to give all of that voucher to their public school. There might be charter schools that the parents can have the option to go to and pay for with these vouchers as well. Or in some states, they have the option of going to a private school, and they can basically get a $5,000 discount on sending their kids to private school, and then they would be responsible for the remainder of the cost for that after that $5,000. And so there are many options here. The idea is that, for example, if you're putting your kid in private school, then you are also paying for the price of the education for your kid to go to a public school. Even though you're not taking advantage of that resources through your taxes, you are paying as if you were. And so this gives parents the opportunity to use those funds differently and have more control. It also opens up their options for where to send their kids to school because it helps with the financial burden there. So that might be all the difference that a parent needs in order to go to a cheaper private school. They might not have been able to afford that otherwise, but with this voucher, maybe they can afford to send their kid to the school they want to send them to. And so this is something that definitely increases freedom and choice and this type of thing. There are a lot of critics that complain that it basically takes out a lot of the better students out of the normal public schools. And so that leaves those public schools in a worse off condition. And it also takes away some of the funding because any parent that wants to spend their money somewhere else is therefore not spending it at the local public school. And so that can provide less funding for the local public schools. Now, the point that I want to bring up is one that I haven't heard very often. I've heard it referred to, I think, just once. And that is the argument of basically control. So vouchers make even private schools more reliant on government money. It's similar to guaranteed government-backed student loans for colleges. And there have been some similar results here. But basically, even though it increases the schooling options and it doesn't force parents to pay for education options that they aren't using, it also definitely increases the reliance that these other schools have on the government. Because if the government is allowing parents to use a voucher at a private school, that private school is probably going to get more people that are willing to send their kids there because basically they get a $5,000 discount or whatever the price may be that their voucher is worth. And so the private schools are getting or would be getting in theory, much more traffic and much more money through this voucher system. And then what happens if the government says, well, we don't like your curriculum in this area, we think that it's very biased. And so either change your curriculum, change the way you teach, or you are no longer allowed to accept our vouchers and we will not pay you for them. And so that's a lot of leverage that the government can have. This has been used against colleges, and in my recent update episode, I did talk about that and some examples of the government basically saying, you are going to change what you do or else we will not give you this money. Now, if a private school was not accepting vouchers and basically didn't get much government money, then the government wouldn't have as much leverage against them. And so, in a way, although vouchers increase the choices and the options that are available for parents, it also increases the government control over some of these schools that the government otherwise does not have as much control over. And so there are definitely positives, but there are definitely negatives, and some of them are ones that are not really getting discussed very much out there today. 
So that wraps up everything that I wanted to talk about in relation to options within the public school system. And hopefully that gives you a good feel for what's out there and what those options are and some ways of getting better education for children without having to take the reins of their education yourself and without having to pay extra and usually an exorbitant amount of money to send them to a private school. There are some options within the system that you can use and utilize that can really boost the education of your children. And so that's a very good thing. Now, another thing that I want to point out is that a lot of these different educational methods and systems and ways that classes are set up are things that have impacted you in your schooling career as well. So if you were not exposed to being outdoors and nature a lot, there is an effect of that. You may not have the same connection with the seasons. You may not have the same connection with nature, and you may not have those observational powers that you automatically notice some of those types of things. And that can be a weakness in you. The same is true of some of the more interactive learning. If you did not learn some of that stuff or learn that way, then you might not have retained nearly as much information. You might not have actually learned nearly as much because you may have just been reading and listening and spitting it out on a test. And that was that instead of actually interacting and using critical thinking and actually doing something physically yourself. And so you may have missed out a lot on some aspects of your education because of the way that it was presented to you. The same is true of a lot of the practical stuff, things like the vocational trades, as well as I mentioned the charter school that's nature-based where they learn some more practical skills you may not have learned that kind of stuff in your school. Now, in the past, there were school classes such as home ec and civics that taught some things that maybe get left out in today's schools. And so it really depends on your age and your school as to what you may or may not have benefited from and what you may or may not have missed. But the point is that we should all be aware of the positive things about our own education and the negative things. We need to be aware of some of the gaps that we have in our own learning and even how we learn, because there are some things that we may not have learned how to learn. We may not have learned how to observe nature and the world around us. We may not have learned how to use critical thinking to solve abstract problems. There are different things that we did learn and didn't learn. And ideally, you need to fill in those gaps now. And so when you recognize some of these things that you may have missed out on, and some of these methods that you think, hey, I didn't get that, and that would have been very beneficial to me, you have the opportunity now to address those things. So I've noticed this with myself personally. I didn't learn a lot of practical knowledge. I didn't learn a whole lot throughout my educational career in public school. But that is something that I've had to pick up outside of school and learning how to fix a sink, a leaky sink, or learning how to change the oil on a car or change a tire on a car, just basic things You don't learn a lot of that in school, and especially if you don't have parents that are involved in those types of things and teaching you those types of things, you may not learn that either. Or you may have just been a rebellious teenager and chosen not to receive that type of instruction from your parents or from your school. And so the point is that now, now that you may be aware of some of these things, you need to use that to your advantage and fill in those gaps. 
Also, if you didn't perform very well in school, there may be some good reasons for it that aren't just that you are lacking in a certain area. It may not be that you are deficient in your intelligence or in your ability to do something. It might be the method of which you were taught these things. And so we all have our own independent strengths and weaknesses, and some of those can manifest themselves in how we learn and our early education, which would then cause us to miss out on a lot of stuff, not because we weren't able to, but maybe because we weren't able to catch on and understand in the certain way that it was taught to us. And so this is something that we need to be aware of as well. If you can know your learning style, how you learn well, what works and what doesn't, then that really helps you to educate yourself because you know how to do that in a way that is effective. And now that you're actually interested in learning, you're actually wanting to gain knowledge and educate yourself, then you are definitely going to retain a lot more already. But if you also know some good methods, you learn what worked and what didn't, you learn what you missed out on throughout your schooling career, then you can really use that to your advantage in accelerating the rate at which you can learn more stuff and educate yourself further. So hopefully that can be practical. I know a lot of this information is not quite as practical for somebody that has no relation to kids and no interest in the school system, but some of it is. So hopefully you can pull out some of those nuggets. This episode in particular is probably the hardest to pull out nuggets from because it is a little more specific to types of schools and that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas the next episode on homeschooling is, it does get more into methods of learning. So that can be more beneficial than the following episode on college alternatives also gets into more learning for an older person, someone that's college age and getting ready for a career. And so that's also very relevant for someone that's already in a career or learning to change a career, whatever the case may be. And so hopefully you'll be able to pull out even more nuggets as we go through the following episodes. So that does wrap up everything that I have here. Thank you for all of my followers on Twitter, everybody that has sent in emails and comments. Those are very helpful. Thank you for people that have posted this on their own social media, on Facebook and Reddit and other places like that. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you for our patron who is supporting financially and giving a small amount every month to help out with the hosting fees and resources and that kind of stuff. And finally, thank you for those of you that have left a rating and have left a review. That is also very helpful. It is difficult to be seen as a podcast if you don't have reviews and ratings. And so that is something that is extremely beneficial and very needed for a podcast to get out there a little more. So that'll be everything that I have for today. Please come back next time for the episode on homeschooling and learning methods and that kind of stuff. That should be a very interesting one. I personally really enjoyed the research on that one. And thank you for being a listener and supporter of this podcast. I really appreciate that. It's very encouraging. It's very helpful to have people that are following this project and learning with me and this kind of stuff. So thank you very much. With that, I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.